Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. It is the Thursday Club and on today's podcast, we're going to be looking ahead to Monday night's game against Spurs at the Cottage. Could Fulham hit the heady heights of fifth? It is possible with a win against Antonio Conte's struggling Tottenham Hotspur. Feels weird to be doing a preview so far ahead, but the schedule's the schedule, and who are we to change it? One change on the Thursday club, but still in the lineup is Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. How are we? Good, thank you. Injured in the warm up was Peter Rutzler, so he called up George Cooper. Hello. <laughs> Hello, mate. It's a bit like bringing off Mitrovic and uh, chucking on Orlando Saar, but. <laughs> I was going to say cool. Carlos Vinicius. Yeah, mate, you know. take the Carlos Vinicius <laughs> loops this week. This yeah, I'll week. take that, I'll take that. Stick your, stick your hands under your armpits and do the celebration. There we go. <laughs> I enjoyed lots of people doing that pose up in Newcastle on uh, on Saturday. So yeah. loads to discuss in today's show. Uh, we'll do the final word from that Newcastle game. Also, a ton of your questions and the return of This Will Catch On. I've been through the inbox. I am absolutely swamped with This Will Catch On entries. Um, I'm not even getting through half of the inbox today. There are some absolute golden ones in there. So uh, they'll be uh, reviewed and analysed by Jack and George and they'll give their review of whether it'll catch on or not. But let's do the final word from Newcastle on Sunday and disappointing result, Jack. But I think ultimately the overriding feeling I feel in the fan base is like, we could have won it. We maybe even deserved to get more out of it with the way that we played the match. Yes, Newcastle were the better team, but we went up there with a game plan. It so nearly came off. But given our position in the table, defeats like that really aren't that massive a deal right now. It was the difference between one more point, but we've already got 31 of them. So it's not life or death. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we were probably value enough for a point. We, I think, yeah. would have been lucky to take all three. It would have been uh, special if the opportunity was there. It, it was the kind of performance that I think you we we needed to put in. We probably expected us to put in, given the shift of not only weight that and work that we went through on the Thursday night, but also kind of the emotional agitation around it. Right, that is a massive result for Fulham. It was one that was felt very deeply within the fan base, and from what the players were saying would have been felt incredibly deeply in the dressing room as well. I think a lot of people put a lot into that. And I, I think we saw that a little bit on the pitch. We weren't as vivacious, perhaps, as we sometimes are. And, and credit needs to be given to Newcastle as well. They're a very, very good side. And they they moved the ball well. It just ended up in a, in a bit of a kind of boxing match. It wasn't the most exciting game that you're going to watch this season. And, and I don't think Newcastle fans would say so. I thought we defended well for 90 odd minutes or 89 odd minutes and 
Bobby Reed, I thought was excellent. Harrison Reed, I thought was was much better than actually he was on Thursday night. But apart from that, I think you saw the players who had been utilised on Thursday a little bit deeper than perhaps their starting positions have been with a little bit less in the tank to give. And ultimately, the pressure told right at the end. But yeah, I thought it was a performance that you could take heart out of. I thought it was a performance that no one's going to be upset by. We haven't given a terrible account of ourselves. And considering the result in the reverse fixture, I think we've gone out and shown exactly what this Fulham side are capable of doing and in terms of stifling teams. It's just a shame that we couldn't see it through right at the end. But again, no hard feelings. If you're going to win one from last week, if you're going to take three points from last week, we all know where we would have taken them. Yeah. I mean, George, it's been hugely impressive what Eddie Howe's done at, at Newcastle and, and their battling qualities to go and win it in the 89th minute, you know, can't be sniffed at. But But from a Fulham perspective, I feel like... It's the other side of what Fulham have shown this season is an ability to also go up to tough away games and and grind things out. It's just such a shame that actually we haven't got an awful lot to show for it. Those those top teams away from home, um, you know, we've played all of the top three now away, come out with zero points, but arguably could have been three, maybe five. It's just maybe that next step that Marco and the boys need to take of, right, we can clearly mix it with the biggest teams. Now we just need to go on and get results, whether it's a point, whether it's three points, that's something for, for Marco and his team to work on. You know, next time we face one of the big hitters, which actually isn't for a little while. If you take away Spurs. Yeah. Well, I think Jack touched upon it. There is the top teams that can keep pushing right until the very death. And you see the way that we were defeated at Man City and Arsenal. It was all late goals. I think that's the more concerning thing is that the, you know, us ma- managing to maintain those. that We know that we have the quality there. We know we have the defensive capabilities, but it's just the case of as we get into those final stages, those top, top teams are managing to maintain that intensity. And that's when, you know, the concentration goes and we end up conceding. I mean, I did the quick take the morning after the Newcastle game. And all of the comments, like 90% of the comments below were from Newcastle fans saying how good they thought Fulham were. And they were saying we're among the best teams that have come to visit St. James's Park. We were the most organized, the most um, solid defensively. Loudest fans as well. Who'd have thought it? You know, Fulham. So <laughs> I love Newcastle. They're so nice. I love yeah, the they're so. And I, I made a comment in the quick take. I was like, and I'm, it was um, to your point about us holding our own against the top teams. That you can tell by the way that Man City celebrated when they beat us. You can tell by the way that Arsenal celebrated when they beat us. You can tell by the way Newcastle celebrated when they beat us in the last minute. We aren't these whipping boys that have come up this time round, you know, we're not the pushovers that they're expecting to win. And you get the sense, you know, if the top teams are struggling to, to beat the likes of, you know, the really low teams you're expecting to beat, it's more of a relief of a celebration rather than a, you know, euphoria. They're, they're seeing us as, you know, we're, we're going toe to toe with them, which is just, you know, you need to t- sit back and be like, okay, how far have we come? Um, yeah. And the Newcastle fans were like, oh, FIA, we always celebrate like that. Don't matter who the physician, who the opposition is like. <laughs> so, but um, that yeah, wasn't bad, actually, Coops. <laughs> well, I did live I've there. Heard, for, I did yeah. live there for three years. Um, but yeah, I it's it's all very encouraging, and we're we're at home in this top top ten. Yeah. Um, I know a few Newcastle fans listen to the last podcast. So if uh, there are Newcastle fans listening to this <laughs> podcast, feel free to uh, message us and give us a review on uh, on Coops's accent. There's <laughs> um, naught being completely insulting and 10 being... Um, Native speaker, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Jack, uh, Easy Diop had uh, a fantastic game for us. And uh, Peter released a piece uh, about the, the rotation between uh, Issa Diop and Tosin Adarabayo. Marco Silva made some comments about saying that it's uh, for tactical reasons. Marco said Tosin and Diop are similar in some aspects. In others, they are different. Against Chelsea, the decision came from the strategy for the game, the way we want to plan things from the opponent. And so... I think this is something now that we can come to expect is that he is going to use Tosin and or Diop depending on what challenges each opposition presents itself, which is quite strange. You know, normally managers don't switch their centre-backs very often. That's not normally positions where players get rotated. So it is something quite interesting from, from Marco, but seems for the most part to be working and, and, and doesn't seem to be phasing either player too much when they get put in. No, absolutely. And and that's the key element of it, right? It's it's one thing being able to swap players because you're trying to explore their differing skill sets for different games. It's another thing with those players coming in and hitting the ground running every time they seem to be dropped into the team. And I think that that's, that's a really important thing. You know, you saw the blocks um, from, from Tosin in, in the last game, early on in the last game. Um, Silver talked about his long passing ability to kind of set Decod over read away on, on, on that right-hand side. And I thought that was really well utilized generally. I also think there's an element defensively to this. In games where we're completely dominant and teams are hit, looking to hit us on the break and get over the top, Tosin has that stride and that ability to cut out counter-attacks. We saw it at Leicester against JV Vardy. I think we saw it against Chelsea in terms of trying to shackle Kai Havertz getting over the top in those in those instances. So... When you look at those kind of elements of it, it makes more sense. Um, and and Diop seems to be the option for when we're penned a little bit further back um, and when we're a little bit under the cosh. Now, obviously, that's simplistic. I'm not suggesting they're the only reasons, but it, on a kind of general broad scale, I think that's what we've seen quite a lot of. We saw it, you know, similarly against Leeds. Um, mm. We knew that they were going to try and set Rodrigo away in those channels. And Tosin probably has the stride length and ability to, you know, and pace to get back to those players and, and cut out those attacks. So I think that plays a part in it. Um, I think the long passing plays a, a really big part in it as well. But I, I think it's a massive advantage if we can utilise that to its full capacity. And also bear in mind, you know, we keep saying this and, you know, maybe Tim Ream will continue to delight us all by going on for another three seasons and just continuing to get better. But two defenders like that who are developing still, I think, in, in terms of their age and who are offering different things to the team might well be a partnership in tandem at some point in the long run. Now, right now we haven't seen that. And maybe Marco's thinking on that is about leadership and direction within the back line. Maybe it's just because Tim Ream has been absolutely sensational and feels undroppable right now. Um, but I think in terms of a combination of those things, we're looking at two players who are getting good runs in the team so that if they were deployed together at some point, I don't think people are going to panic. And, and that's a really, really nice place to be within the centre-back rotation. Well, it'll be interesting to see what um, Marco does against Sunderland. Obviously, it was uh, Diop and Tosin who got the nod uh, in that Hull match. Tim Ream got a rest. Was that just because of the busy fixture build-up or was that something that Marco wanted to see? He was like, right, let's, let's play Tosin and Diop. That's potentially my two seasons away plan when eventually Tim Ream somehow age catches up with him, which it seems not to be um, right now. He's like Dorian Gray, Tim Ream, isn't he? I bet there's like a portrait in an attic somewhere that's portraying this hideous deformed guy with knee injuries and whatnot, but I don't know how he's keeping it up. Long may yeah. it continue. 
Long may it continue indeed. Um, gents, the penalty debate has kind of been done, but I'd be interested to get both your thoughts on it. Um, if you're Marco, if uh, we win a penalty on Monday against Tottenham, who are you putting forward for it? And I guess you've got to weigh up the chances, the probability of scoring said penalty against the confidence of Mitrovic which does need to be protected at at all costs so Coops I'll start with you yeah I my opinion on this is I think that a conversation needs to be had between Marco or whoever it may be and Mitra and say look okay we've we've missed three now it's totally up to you you're our man if you want to stay on then let's work on them you know put a bit of practice in but if you don't want to do it then that's fine we'll find someone else but I don't think you can take the penalty taking responsibility off Mitrovic that's got if he doesn't want to take them anymore because his confidence is low fair enough he can give it over to Pereira or whoever but I think the message that it sends that you don't have faith in your number nine to stick it in from 12 yards is not worth the potential confidence knock um and you stick with him and but if he doesn't want to take him so be it that's that's my personal opinion yeah, I think Coops is pretty much spot on. Um, I, I think the the backlash of taking it. Imagine if someone else step up and and missed one. Now it would be it would be chaos in the ranks, and it chaos in the CBD in many ways. So well, it's what happened in um, the Scott. That's what happened in the um, behind closed doors season under Scott Parker, wasn't it? They got taken off Mitrovic, and then more players kept missing, and then then suddenly we were in a real situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just add that Willian has been a really consistent, excellent penalty taker throughout his entire career. Um, I remember a long period where he was pretty much dead eye from the spot. He used to hit the top corner loads. Now I know that's like a massive cliche, but he did used to actually bang it top corner a lot of the time. Um, so, so I do think there are capable penalty tapers in the squad. Um, but I'm completely with Coops in that you have to have that conversation with Mitrovic. And if he decides that he wants to stay on penalties, he has to stay on them. And that's, that's it. Because if, if, if taking penalties off him, means he loses his composure and cool in front of goal and the confidence that's been flowing through him. I don't think that's a trade-off that I'm willing to take. It's so annoying that it isn't like a more clinical decision. Like it isn't just like, look, there's a reason Mitrovic doesn't take corners either because he's not the best corner taker in the team. Like surely like we should find ways, but I do understand that there's politics to this and it's not just as simple as like, right, Andreas is the best penalty taker or William's best penalty taker. So he takes them. Mitrovic is our kind of leading man and we have to kind of throw our weight and confidence behind him. I don't envy Marco Silva's job on this. I think he's actually got a really tough call um, to make and Probably the way that you're suggesting, Coops, is probably the way to do it. I just want him to hit them harder. Just welly them, man. Do you know what I mean? Like he always tries to place them and it never quite finds the corners. He, The sort of striker he is, you'd expect him to just lump it as hard as he can. So that's the one thing. I, whenever he steps up, I'm just like, just hit it, man. Put your laces through it. So hopefully he'll, you know, work on them in training and then he'll start scoring. I'd love nothing more than Mitrovic to Penenka it in against Spurs <laughs> just to go fully like yeah, shut so everyone good. up and just like a little little quiet down to the house of <laughs> for uh, for doubting me. How Bob, dare you? Bobby Zamora style. Go yeah. up to go Bow <laughs> down to your king. Um Jack, I always kind of like, there's always a couple of things that come out maybe 48 hours after a game. They're just like a little Twitter clip or something. The little elastico, the flip flap that Bobby Reed does just before he... Uh, wins the penalty that probably shouldn't have been the penalty, but we would have got a penalty anyway and a red card. So, you know, pick your battles, Newcastle fans. We'd have got one anyway and you managed to keep all your men on the pitch. We should have got one anyway. Let's put it that way. 
Oh, that little bit of skill from Bobby Reed is so amazing. It's one. It's amazing the things sometimes you don't notice in the real time, even watching on the telly. I, I didn't really spot that, maybe because I was too angry about Pereira just being denied a penalty seconds before, but lovely. Just just beautiful from Bobby. Not the player that you expect to be able to pull that off either, but yeah. I don't know, mate. I, I actually, uh, this is one of those things. Bobby Reed managed to absolutely terrorise Chelsea down that right-hand side on Thursday night. And then... Bopped over to the left to win a win a penalty against Newcastle. <laughs> the boy is absolutely magic, and it's one of those. I was talking to Sam Ty earlier, and he was he's a writer for Southampton, and he was asking how does Southampton go about beating Newcastle, and I was basically like, well, they don't. But either way, I was like, he was like, should we just sign Bobby Reed? I was like, probably. I was like, it's just just what a, I, I love Bobby Reed so much. Like, yeah. so, so, so much. I dream, yeah, we all dream of a team of Bobby Reeds. I'm going to keep keep putting this on the podcast until someone sings it at a game. You know, number one is Bobby Reed. Number two <laughs> is Bobby Reed. Like, genuinely, what a player. What what a man. I'm He's just, the first player in a long time who I think actually maybe would they, that, that team, a team of Bobby Reeds would actually be kind of okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just be everywhere. If you had He's to pick one good. one player in our team, it, like that's actually a really good question. Your entire team is made up. No, of one not player. just our team. World football. <laughs> World football. What player could be better as the entire team of them than Bobby Reed? I think yeah. that I think there's a short list. It's yeah. a short list. He's, he's just a wonderful footballer. Goalkeeper is the only p- position where he comes up short. But I'd back him to be okay in goal. <laughs> yeah, I reckon I reckon he's got it in him. I, I, I don't doubt anything with Bobby Reid anymore. What a footballer. And, and look, there's, it comes times, you know, we were talking about his, his kind of changes and he was playing right wing back, obviously, in, in the Parker season. We've seen him fill in at right back and, and on both wings, obviously, this year. He came to us as a centre forward from Bristol City, yeah. but he's played in centre midfield. You know, we, I would have no bother sticking him in at left back and being like, go on, have a go there. It, it really does feel like he is the world's greatest utility man. And that does, that does his services a major understatement as well, because he is just such a good footballer. He is so skillful. He's relatively calm under pressure. He tends to hit the target in one-on-one situations. He beats his man more often than not. He wins major challenges on the side. His defensive work rate is through the roof. Like, obviously, when people look back at this season so far and they get who have your two players of the season been, people are going to talk about Polina, rightly so, because he's been so important, and Mitrovic for the goals that he's scored. But I, I do genuinely believe that there's a player of the year shout in there for Bobby Reed at this point because he is just mesmeric in every situation i bet you he's really good at other sports as well like cricket darts swimming i reckon he just can do anything um i'm trying to think now who would win if you had a team of james milner's and a team of bobby reeds i feel like they're the two players a good battle that would be that would be a that'd be a game there'd be a lot of running there'd be a lot of running on that pitch let's put it that way someone do a fifa sim Uh, anyway onwards (laughs) right we'll take a break there afterwards we're going to look ahead to monday's game against spurs when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Jack Collins and George Cooper on the Thursday Club today. Thank you to everyone who has joined the Fulhamish community. Uh, I mentioned it on the pod uh, last week after Chelsea game, saying that we'd love some people just to support the work that we're doing. And actually loads of you have signed up to the Fulhamish community and we hugely appreciate it. It's just a way of you guys supporting the pod, backing the pod. If you get a lot out of it, if you listen to all our podcasts or watch all our videos, read all our articles. It's just a way of supporting the work that we do here on the podcast. We hugely appreciate it. As a bonus, you get access to our Telegram chats, which are particularly good in January as well, because it's all the transfers and things dropping there pretty damn quick, including the sensational news this morning that Man United might be interested in buying Kevin and Babu. <laughs> where the hell did that come from? But I'll tell you where I found about it first. It was in the Fulhamish community on, uh, on Telegram. So if you like what we do, please do back us. There's a link in the description of this podcast or all the details are on our website, but we try and keep everything free. So if you can't or don't want to, no worries. Keep on listening. Keep on trucking. Right. Let's look ahead then to Spurs on Monday. And um, not going to lie, uh, George, I watched that uh, North London derby uh, after, a bit a bit annoyed because obviously Fulham had just lost. Watching Spurs fall apart against admittedly an unbelievable team in Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. I think we can definitely do these lads at the cottage as well. If it was at their stadium, I'd be like, mm, I don't know. And it's mad to see an Antonio Conte team in this much chaos because I just always associate Antonio Conte with born winner. His teams win leagues. And right now they look an absolute shambles. Perfect time to be playing them as well. They've got to make the long treacherous journey up to Manchester City on Thursday. So really quick turnarounds ahead of the game on Monday. Mm. Yeah, they look terrible, terrible against Arsenal. It's all the things that you don't expect a Conte team to be as well, like disorganised, misfiring. My only worry is, is that they have players like Kane and Son who can just pluck a goal out of nowhere. That's the only thing that I'm worried about going into the game. But I'm going in with the same levels of confidence that I have at the Chelsea game, which I firmly do believe that we're going to win on Monday. Um, and they're not going to want to be playing us either. They're going to think, oh, trip to Graven Cottage, they're in form, narrowly lost against Newcastle, beat Chelsea. This could be another big scalp of the season. Yeah, Jack, I mean, Spurs' form since the restart has been interesting. They they came from, they seem to always start two goals down. Um, the first half is definitely where Fulham need to hit Tottenham. They are awful in the first half and they seem to kind of get better in the second and sometimes they manage to get out of some pretty big scrapes. They came from 2-0 down against Brentford, for example. I think the thing to be wary of is that they went away to Palace and I know Palace is struggling at the moment, but they absolutely blew them away and won 4-0. If this Tottenham team clicks, then they really can click. But it's just that right now they don't seem to be clicking very often and we need to hope that that's the case again. Yeah, I mean, look, but you said it there. All four of those goals against Palace were second half goals. The strangest phenomenon in world football right now is that Spurs can't play for the first 45 minutes of games. Now, I really hope I haven't just cursed that, but it, <laughs> it has been it has been a thing, you know, they, you know, whether it happens or not. And obviously we'll see how they get on against City, but whether it happens or not here, it's a really strange phenomenon. And there's, there's a couple of things that are really interesting with Spurs at the moment. One is that their wingbacks just don't seem to be cutting the mustard. Cess, I thought, was actually all right against Arsenal in, in a team of relatively poor performances. But when you play in a system like Conte's, you need your wingbacks to be exceptional and you need them to be amongst your best players. And that just hasn't been the case for Tottenham this season. 
season. You know, the, their strengths have been in the centre of midfield, where I think they're very, very good. Um, I'm a big fan of Ben Tancourt. I think he's an excellent player. And Hoybier next to him is a very, very capable footballer as well. Um, I mean, we can hope that Ben Tancourt's injury continues and that he, he continues to be out of this game, but it does look like he's edging his way back to fitness. You know, they have pace and, and, and ability on the counter in Kudusevsky and Son, but it, it does feel like they kind of need Harry Kane in two positions at once at the moment. And it's a really kind of strange place for, for them to be in. Um, and, and this is it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to stay here and, and, and sit and be like, oh, we're favourites for a game against Spurs. They're above us in the table. And famously, we haven't done great against teams above us in the table this season so far. Yeah. You look at that side with the kind of chaos they're in at the moment and you feel similarly, if not necessarily emotionally in the same way, as you did going into that Chelsea game where you're like, yes, obviously they have a team that on paper is probably still stronger than ours. But generally across the course of this season, have you seen all that many Spurs performances that have suggested that they are better than Fulham right now? And the answer is no. Whether they click and the woes that have become them this season suddenly go away. Yes, as you said, they do have the ability to turn it on. They do have the ability to be really good. But it's been seen in such flashes and such spurts that it's hard to kind of believe that they're going to suddenly start performing when all of the mood around the camp is so negative. You know, you see these Conte press interviews, you see what he's demanding. He seems to be at loggerheads with the board. There is this question mark over even whether he's going to be there next season. And you look at this and go, well, if they're in this much disarray, a Fulham team who have been organised, who have been well-drilled, who know exactly how we're doing all season long, and Willian, their old tormentor on that left-hand side, thanks very much. I think that there would be, there's a lot to like about this game in terms of if Fulham are going to get anything out of one of these top sides this season, it feels like a really, really big opportunity to do so. Yeah, and Coops, I mean, interesting to see how much of an advantage it is that Fulham have had an eight day gap between matches and Spurs do have to go to City tonight. Now, this is a side that is used to playing midweek football and, and having to deal with it. They've been in the Champions League and the Europa League for it for a number of years, and they still do have four days with which to get over it. But, you know, it's a tough task at the Etihad. They've just placed, played Arsenal as well. Um, that's something that Fulham have got to take advantage of and, and come out the traps. And I really hope that this Fulham team has managed to, to have a few days off because it's been a relentless schedule up until the point that we played Newcastle. It's the first time since Boxing Day that we've had even a full week, let alone more than a week, uh, to recover. Yeah, and... Tottenham have a pretty good record at Manchester City, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're, they're one of the best teams to, you know, they're almost like the, the key to unlock Guardiola's Man City almost. Yeah, but I mean, win or lose, it's going to take it out of the squad, um, especially in the situation that they're in at the moment, as uh, you guys have pointed out. I'll be really interested to see the, um, the squad that we go for because everyone's back from suspension, people coming back from injury. Um, I assume that we'll see Jedi slip back in. Uh, obviously. So. Yeah, Mitrovic up top. Uh, yeah, it's just going to be a lot of fun, really is. And yeah, I, I get your point that um, Tottenham are perhaps more suited and more used to these tight turnarounds, what were the European tournaments and whatnot. But I think they're there for the taking. I really, really do. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I fancy us. Um, Jack, this is something I've been thinking is like Mitrovic is still not fully, fully recovered. 
Like he's still, either he's struggling for fitness or the injury hasn't gone away. And I can't quite work out what it is, whether it is the injury that's meaning he's not able to fully train, which means then he's not fit or he just hasn't had a chance to get his fitness back. I just wonder, you've got a couple of cup games coming up. You've got like rests and stuff. And it seems sacrilege to say, but you've now got a striker in Vinicius that's probably got a, a bag of confidence. At some point, do we think about like not in a game against Tottenham at home no, no. It, it, it's as simple as that if Mitrovic is available Mitrovic plays I, I know exactly what you're getting at and I don't think you're wrong for suggesting it but I don't think that this is the time to start mucking with that as you say there's cup games coming up there's opportunities to rest and as you highlighted before eight days rest here for the squad between Newcastle and Tottenham these are the games that you want you know your big players to step up in under the lights against the big sides this is this is a big game, and uh, I think Alexander Mitrovic will be desperate after the, you know, mess at Newcastle in many ways to actually get himself on the score sheet here and just right that wrong. So I I, I understand what you're getting at, but no, fine, fine. I'm more than happy for you to disagree with me. <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from, though, Sammy. But I think the the time in which to utilize Vinicius would have been twenty minutes earlier against Newcastle when it was obvious that Mitro was flagging. That's that's when you bring him on and and try and make the most out of this, you know, spring that he's got in a step after writing himself into Fulham folklore on um, last week. But yeah, and Mitrovic would have and Mitrovic would have been gutted to miss that Chelsea game. I'm sure he was, and you you saw his reaction because um, Thogden filmed him in the cottage, you know, celebrating and being really passionate. But he would have been gutted to miss out on that atmosphere against Chelsea and stuff. So I imagine, as you say, Jack, like under the lights at the cottage, this is another opportunity for him to have his moment now um, and, and, and make the most of the atmosphere. Speaking of, do you think like something that the Chelsea atmosphere, it won't quite be replicated against Spurs, but it'd be nice to get somewhere a bit closer because it was just brilliant on, on Thursday. And it remains a London derby under the lights on a Monday yeah. night. I, I genuinely think it will be quite a good atmosphere. I'm, I'm, I mean, to yeah. be fair, the atmospheres have been pretty excellent throughout the season. I think generally, um, maybe the Newcastle home game aside, but there was quelled and dull for a reason. It, it has felt like it's been pretty lively throughout the, the season. So I, I think that uh, you know, a night game in particular, people will be up for it. It's a, you know, a game that people will want to get one over as well. You know, it, it's it's an easy thing to say that teams are struggling, but it doesn't matter if Liverpool or obviously Chelsea is a bit different in the in the way that it's a, a game against your local rivals. Sure. But I think you, you look at those games against a Liverpool or Man United, you know, even if they're struggling, even when their seasons that they haven't been as good as they perhaps previously were they're still the teams you want to get one over. They're still the teams that you go, can we beat one of the big guns? Because yeah. even if they're not having the season that they might be, you know, hoping for, I think there's plenty to like about beating a team with that kind of historical value. And so I think people will be up for this one. Yeah, these are the teams that I like, a lot of people, I don't think people are saying it as much anymore because people have realised it's really fun to be good in the Premier League. But these, these are the games that you want to be in the top for, league yeah, for. Yeah. This, these are the games that you buy a season ticket for in the Premier League and you get excited for. Spurs on a Monday night, a Spurs side that's a bit out of form, Fulham are good. Like this is the, this is the kind of game that, yeah, that, that makes, that, that makes it all 
worth it in the end um if we do win george should we copy brentford celebrations again and um and do freed from desire and do a a lap of honor around the pitch they wrote freed from desire didn't they <laughs> yeah apparently mean. gala is just like a a, a brentford Massive fan B, and, yeah. And he, yeah he wrote it for brentford specifically and mm. you know it was a really novel idea to come up with a lap of honor you know i've never heard of that before like applauding That's the new, fans after you've won it's it's genius stuff and i think that yes we copied it against chelsea and i think we should copy it again Coop what do you say yeah I thought I mean probably gonna get slated for this but I thought the celebrations when they beat Liverpool were it's just made, it's pretty tin pot like I'm sorry I, I know that we stayed behind after Chelsea game, but it wasn't that long you'd have thought they'd won the fucking Champions League like come on no mate I stayed I stuck around for about half an hour <laughs> maybe 45 minutes I don't think I was back in the Duke till about 11 o'clock so I'm actually not going to throw any stones they do free from desire about Ivan Tony. No, yeah, they don't about Wissa. Is to it be fair? They only signed him last year, so it'd be very impressive if they've been doing it pre that. Yeah. Also, also, you know, um, Brentford wrote "Hey Jude" as well. Yeah, That's... yeah, yeah. Billy the Bee back to back Paul McCartney. I've always heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh, absolute weapons. I mean, the the Hammersmith end are going to smell blood on Monday, and it will be a great atmosphere. I'm I'm certain of it. If we could just attack the, the Hammersmith end in the second half, please, though. That That'd that annoyed great. me. Although I imagine Coops, as a as a Putney end ultra as you are, yeah. you probably enjoyed the fact that for once it was the other way. It, Vinicius did that celebration about five metres away from me. I was losing my mind. It was so good. Yeah. I mean, that because it's a real, it's a real, it's shit hazard, isn't it? When they do the switcheroo. But yeah. I'm like, oh, sweet. That doesn't bother <laughs> us anymore. We're a new psych now. Yeah. <laughs> Right, we're going to take a break there afterwards. We've got some of your emails and then this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy with Jack and Coops. This will catch on in a second. Yes. But first of all, your emails. Um, let's go through. <laughs> yeah, can we just do this will catch on, please? No, we've got to do a few emails first. I'm joking. Give everyone their due. Yeah. Uh, this one from Tim Miller. Uh, I think um, I, I missed this at the time, but I, I enjoy it. He said, in the post-Crystal Palace podcast, you were fondly reminiscing about the last time Fulham played against nine men, which you said was Juventus and Man United shortly before that. And also Liverpool. Uh, I believe it was Dan who off the cuff said that I think when we beat Liverpool 3-1, Liverpool went down to nine men. They did. Mad that it happened all within about a year that three times um, Fulham played against nine men at Craven Cottage, all against massive teams as well. Um had Fulhamish been around in 2009 or 2010, I'm sure we'd have uh, spotted it, but um, alas, we weren't. Uh, anyway, he says, I have a darker, more distant recollection of a double sending off. Can any of your stats boffins plug the gaps in my memory? As I recall, mid-90s, fourth tier, Hereford United at home. I think, but not certain, Hereford were too short for the entire second half and still Fulham couldn't muster a victory. <laughs> it remains my most depressing Fulham memory and and I was triggered on Boxing Day from Tim Miller. Now, I haven't done the stats or the research on this uh, for Tim, but if there's anyone listening that can confirm whether Tim has either completely made this up as a figment of his imagination or that dark day against Hereford where we couldn't score against nine men did happen, um, then we'd be very appreciative. Hello at fullmesh.co.uk. I don't think we've ever played Hereford United on Boxing Day. No, 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 no. I don't think he's saying it happened on a boxing oh, day. Oh, I see. He's saying I on see. boxing day against Palace, 
he was brought back to the flashback of playing Hereford and them getting two uh, men sent our off. records against Hereford that I just pulled up in the 90s uh, include a one-all draw on the 24th of September 1994, a one-all draw, uh, there, Gaff, a 0-0 draw at home on the 28th of October 1995, uh, and a 1-0 win on the 17th of August 1996. Sort of a bogey team for us, Hereford United. I mean, I I actually was basically out of swaddling clothes, so I can't remember any of these games, I'll be honest. But, it, yeah, they, they, they have a great record, let's be honest. There's a very iconic George Best match against Hereford. Yes. Him and Rodney Marsh stole the show. Um, but yeah, you, you, you're going back some there. I think that was in 76. Yeah. Well, Hereford United don't even exist anymore, do they? It's now um, Hereford FC, the Phoenix Club, because um, Hereford United went bust, sadly. Um, but uh, they're now in the National League North, uh, Hereford. It, it feels like a long time ago since they, we were even mad that we were, you know, in the same league as them for a for, for a while with them. Not even uh, 30 years ago. So um, how times have changed. But um, yeah, thank you very much for your email. Speaking of um, random memories, I had this uh, trying to get to sleep one night and I don't know why <laughs> this <laughs> passed across my bow. But um, I went to... Uh, Man United Fulham. It was my first ever trip to Old Trafford and it was in the 03-04 season. Not the game where we won 3-1 in the league. It was the game where we lost 2-1 to them in the uh, in the FA Cup quarterfinal. And I um, was very excited. I must have been about 10. And um, I suddenly was like, have I made this up because I was 10 years old? Or did Zat Knight hit the crossbar for on the volley from the halfway line? I was like, have I fully made this up? It does sound like the kind of thing you've made up in your head. I'll be <laughs> yeah, honest. It sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> but it wasn't. I went on YouTube and I managed to find, someone's uploaded the full match onto YouTube. I was like, oh, this is going to take me a long time. But I managed to kind of like scrub through. I was like, I think I know roughly what part of the game was. And it happened. I'm not sure it was the halfway line, my dude. I'm just reading the BBC Sport record. No, it wasn't the halfway line. It was still 40 yards. Just 30 yards on the BBC. Steve Albronk flicked it on and Zat Knight, full on the volley, smashed it. Crossbar would have been one of the best goals Old Trafford ever seen. And I didn't make it up, which I was quite pleased. I didn't do it at the same time, by the way. I like waited a day and I was like, it came back to me. <laughs> I was about to say, your, your poor wife. I just imagine you tossing and turning, not two being in the morning, drift off, two in the morning, reaching for your laptop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Waking her up to John Motson's frantic commentary. And it's that night from the halfway line. And you're like, I knew it. I knew it. She's like, I've got work in the morning would you not (laughs) (laughs) just sometimes you get those thoughts and you're just like did I remat and completely made that up but more often than not I didn't right this one from um full Ernstum I think is his name uh, anyway, says, hi, Sammy. There has been much talk about whether we will be able to keep Mitro and Zhao in the coming seasons. I have a different, more optimistic view than what has been discussed on the pod. I think they are staying. I would love to hear the Thursday club's take on this. The Khans basically have two options. Number one is sell Mitro and Zhao and reinvest to consolidate our position as a bottom half Premier League team. Two, keep them and take the team to the next level by adding players of Mitro and Zhao's quality. The former poses the risk that Silva would leave as well as any standout performers. Uh, the risk of any team 
in bottom half of table being dragged into relegation battle over a number of seasons is pretty high as well. If we stay up this season, it will be the Khan's first second season in the Premier League. I have no idea about where we stand with financial fair play, but when you consider the financial backing the Khan's have already given the club since they took over, there is every indication that they will go as big as they are allowed to in the summer and after that. Consider the £100 million investment in 2018, the fact they managed to convince Mitro to come and stay in the Championship again and again, the acquisition of Zhao, even the squad that Parker took down was definitely good enough on paper to stay up. The Khans have spent big whenever they could. They must be down some considerable nine-figure sum with the club. The new stand is coming into full operation in the next year. And with the momentum we are in and with Silver getting so much out of this team, I think it is only logical for the Khans to double down and take us to the next level. The risks of not doing this far outweigh spending big. Um, so he'd like our uh, thoughts on whether his... You know, blue sky thinking, definitely uh, glass half full thinking, but I liked it. So, um, Coops, what what do you think? Is it a time now where the Khans, assuming we stay up, will double down in, in the summer? It feels like a big opportunity, but quite often when clubs get the opportunity to double down, and I know this is what a lot of Leicester City fans are annoyed about at the moment, sometimes clubs don't do it. I think we're doubling down. I really do. The Khans have never once showed themselves to be shy of dipping into their purses you know Shahi tried to buy Wembley for god's sake like this is not a man with shy and retiring ambitions whatsoever and Fulham are now a really attractive prospect let's not forget you know London club top half you know players are going to be coming in and they can be sold the dream that you're not hopefully pending Marco uh, remains and Jao remains and Mitro remains, you're not going to be in a relegation dogfight. You're going to be challenging for the European spots. Um, yeah, I mean, say what you want about the Khans. They've, they've not ever been stingy and they've not showed us any reason to expect that now of all seasons, that's going to change. So I, and I, I feel like the recruitment has improved every season that the Khans have been part of the football club. The interesting thing is, Jack, I think that the whole doubling down strategy is a time where clubs can very often get it wrong. And I was listening to podcasts and they were talking about West Ham and how this season they're kind of doubling down, trying to take what they built and go into that next level. They made good additions on paper, Skamaka, Paqueta, and they've really struggled. They've kind of spoiled the balance. There's of a the, slight difference in that though, in that David Moyes has never shown that he can take yes. a side full of superstars higher. Um, I don't think Silver's had majorly the opportunity to display that. So we're, we're looking at uncharted territory, whereas I think there's a track record with Moyes that he tends to do really well and, and make players better that are performing you know, under maybe the standard they'd expect and then take them to a level. To a point, I would, I would could draw a slight comparison, if not at the same level, to a Roy Hodgson, who can get a team not built of superstars to real high heights at points in his career by, you know, basically bonding them into a unit and, and utilizing their strengths. I think when you then chuck loads of superstars at Moyes, he tends to struggle. This is not a new phenomenon. So I, I'm not shocked that West Ham are struggling. I'm, I'm shocked they're struggling as much as they are, but I'm not shocked that they haven't been able to kick on. I don't think, I mean, I'm under the impression, or at least, that I don't think Mitrovic is going anywhere. I think there's a different question to be had with Pelinia. Um, because it really does depend on the conversations that were had when he was signed. You know, he's come from a Champions League club 
to a side that had just been promoted in the Premier League. Now, obviously, money talks to a point, so that there's that level to to kind of thing, and players want to prove themselves in the Premier League. But I wonder if there was a conversation, and a club like Borussia Dortmund, for example, are really good at this. They go, we'll bring in young players of exquisite standard, and they go, when the time comes for you to move on, we will allow you to move on once the club meets our asking price. And I wonder if 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 there was a similar conversation, or there will be similar conversations with players like Polinia, who has come from the Champions League, has clearly stepped down a level in that regard to where he's playing, if not necessarily domestically, or he, but at least he went from a team challenging for league titles in Portugal to a team who, you know, we feel ourselves on the point of exuberation about being in the European spots. Now, there's nothing wrong with either of those things. I'm not, there's not, you know, a criticism. It's just the fact of the matter that if there was a conversation had with him, which would have been very different to Mitrovic, who was not, playing at that exact level when he came into the club that they might have gone right when when the time comes if you know I'm not saying they will do but if Real Madrid comes calling for you we will let you make that move you know I I don't know where that is and I don't know where that conversation stands so I'm not going to sit here and you know Mm. I do but equally I I think it's something worth considering because that is a a model that you can use you know to bring in players of real quality and be like look we'll let you know you give everything you've got for us and we will let you move on. You know, it's been one of those things that you look at it and it's about shiny new toys, right? The, everyone likes having the best. And, the, you know, you have to kind of, in some clubs, learn not to be upset when those players move on because you you trust in the side to recruit someone of good value. And much as it pains me to say it, Brentford do it really well, right? They lose their star players and they bring in someone else who just seems to get better. Brighton do it unbelievably. They lose their shiny new toy and they move it on and they go, right, here's another three that we've picked up from the middle of Columbia and we are going to turn them into the next players we're going to sell for 70 million pounds. And that's how they sustain the model. So there's a different slightly model going on at Fulham in that it's not so much funded by its own discourse, but I think that's a sustainable point you can look to get to because you have to get to a point where the club is run sustainably. And at the moment, the investment has been wonderful. And I completely agree with everything that's been said in that regard. But is it a sustainable model for 20 years? I don't know. I don't know. Some owners do do that. Some owners throw in all the cash. And again, it pains me to say it, but Abramovich did this down the road. And Alfayed did it for a long period at Fulham, you know, yeah. where the money was kind of not unlimited, but it was, it was what you need, you get. And they kind of do that through different things. I think different people use it for different motives, but I, I think Shard Khan has come in with, you know, the idea of he wants to sit around the table with the top club owners and he wants to be at that table. And so he's getting benefits from that. And I think in an NFL sense as well, especially when you look at the other Americans that own, you know, football clubs in the Premier League, I think he wants to sit around the table and be like, yeah, my football club are unbelievable. You know, let's talk on a level. Let's not talk on a, Let's not talk on a, oh, I'm here and you're there. Let's talk on a, we are genuine direct rivals. That's what I think Shard Khan wants from the club. So I think that the investment will continue, but I do think there's a level of at what point do you have to make sure that the club is run sustainably? And that means bringing players in for low fees and selling them for high ones. So that, that would be the only caveat I have to it. But I don't think it's given that anyone leaves this summer. Well, obviously some people leave, but that any of our star players leave this summer, I just think it's worth considering where it li- where we live within that food chain and also what we offer to players. Because if we find the next Polina and he sees that he's been stuck at the club for three years when he's wanted to leave and performance levels have dropped and the value's dropped and he's no longer wanted by the top clubs, are we going to be such an attractive destination 
for the next set of talents that are on the board? I think the answer is no. So you have to kind of weigh up and balance those things, I think, in, in the same way. You also have to look at, you know, Polini's age. He's, he's 27. Um, he'll be 28 in the summer. And right now his, his value is at his absolute peak. But I now do start to trust the club that, look, like in the summer, we lost Carvalho. And I was like, what are we going to do about Fabio Carvalho? He's the absolute linchpin of our team. He's the, he's the rocket. He's, he's the attacking he's the, fulcrum, yeah. He's the key at number 10. And when we brought in Pereira, I was like, oh, flipping hell. You think this guy's going to replace Fabio Carvalho? And look at what he's done. So I do now have some trust in the recruitment team that if we lost Polinio, and especially if someone, you know, came in with 70 mil, that would massively keep Fulham in, uh, sustainable would help with our financial fair play position, which would mean the cards could invest more money. Um, I would trust them to find another Polina at the moment. Like everything seems to be going well. The actual player that I think we are in danger of losing this summer is Anthony Robinson. That's a player yeah. that I could see going for some decent cash. You've been saying um, this for a while. Um, this summer. Not that I want him to, love him to stay. But then I Fulham think... need to be making inroads right now. And look, they might be. So we don't, you know, we don't know what's going on, but Fulham need to be making inroads into the likes of Fran Garcia at Raya Vallecano and players in that mold because that is the kind of move that you go, right, you can bring him in now for 10 million. That's his release clause at Rio. You have to be careful because Real Madrid have a buyback first option. But still, if they don't want to activate that, you go in there for 10 million. That's the kind of player you can sell on. He's, you know, early 20s. Yeah. You sell him on in a couple of seasons for 40 million, well, Chelsea are collecting left back, so they might buy him for 50. And so, you know, if you do that, then, then that's a sustainable way of running the club. I just wary that when we say, oh, we're going to pump loads of money in, that it can leave you in a, in a funny old place down the line. And you just have to be careful of that in terms of making a club sustainably run. Fully agreed. Um, but thank you very much for your question. Uh, final question from Jared Bernstein. I feel like we get this question every Any two or three Leonard. months. Um, no, I don't, well, I don't think so. But you never know. Might be. Because um, in which case, I would be like, maybe come in the next section, my guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, this one, though, says, Hi, uh, my name's Jared. I'm from Denver, Colorado. Um, I've been a Fulham fan since the 2010 Europa League campaign. Um, I've been fortunate enough to visit the cottage twice. However, both these visits came during the summer months, so I've only had tea at the cottage cafe. Didn't know that was a thing. And visited the team's store to purchase both my Zamora and Berbatov jerseys. This year, I'm going to have my first Craven Cottage experience, proper Craven Cottage experience, as I'll be in town for the match against Leeds on April 22nd. I want to get an authentic match day experience as possible, so I thought I'd come to you for some advice. Any recommendations for pre-match pubs, routes to the match, etc.? As I say, uh, Coops, we've answered this question a few times, but, you know... It, it never hurts. So a couple of things that, that Jared can do on a match day just to make sure he has the, 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 the full authentic Fulham experience. I mean, there are so many pubs around Fulham, Hammersmith, Putney, but I'm going to give a shout out to River Cafe opposite Putney Station. Just a really lovely, authentic Italian, uh, like family run calf that does a great um, full English. So if you want some proper English football experience, full and football experience, get yourself there early, set yourself up for the day with a nice fry up and then wander on down to any number of the pubs that are nearby. The Golden Lions just around the corner. Um, where else do we go? Bishop's Bar is great for a pint. And if you want a slightly, I mean, I wouldn't say that's an authentic uh, Fulham experience. Yeah, but I love that place, but I wouldn't exactly <laughs> say it's the most authentic Obviously, Fulham. just do the classics. Like, Yes, I agree, though. That's a great shout for a starting place, Coops. But then just go and do the Golden Lion. Walk down from 
the the Golden Lion at, at Putney Bridge and, and make that walk walk through the the park. You know, it's not the way I come. It's not it's not my my kind of route to games. But I think it's the most Fulham and the yeah. most authentic route to games. Uh, so I would suggest that if it's your first time at the cottage, it's something that you just kind of have to do. Yeah, as I say, play the hits. You know, <laughs> Jared, have a good time. The only thing I'll say is that. Uh, if Fulham reached the FA Cup semi-final, that leads it is on that weekend. So um, you might have to uh, move your match day experience from the cottage to Wembley if we can continue our cup run. Or annoyingly, if Leeds get to this semi-finals of the FA Cup, then you've just really fallen for bad luck. But you never know. You might be here for a big FA Cup semi-final. Um, still a long way to go. We're only in the fourth round. Right, let's, now it is time for This Will Catch On. It has been a long time since we've yeah. done this. Bring Let's it go. Home. Let's um, do it. If you're new to the Thursday Club, this will catch on. Uh, it's been going for just over a year now. And it's where people email us um, songs that could be sung on the terraces at Fulham. And we basically decide whether this will catch on or not. We have no actual power to whether songs do catch on, but we like to say of their likelihood of the masses uh, picking it up. Uh, we haven't done it for a good couple of months now, so it's nice to be back. And my inbox is bulging for the amount of this will catch on. Uh, my storage is uh, in, in desperate times. There was a very funny tweet that I saw from uh, John on Twitter saying, one of my favourite bits of the Fulhamish pod is the This Will Catch On feature where Fulham fans send in suggestions of songs that might be popular at Brentford in four years' time. Very good. Touché. Apps that you mentioned, John, because I think his This Will Catch On is coming up at the end. But we're going to start off with one from Oliver Smith. He said, hi, Sammy. I've had this ringing around in my head for ages now and just got round to sending it in. A chant for our one and only Kenny Tete. Hope you enjoy. Uh, and he said, uh, it was lovely to meet you uh, at the Everton game with my dad. I remember Ollie and his, uh, and his dad. Uh, they were very nice. We met in the Bishop's Bar. Uh, this is for Kenny Tete. Um, to the tune of Be My Baby by the Ronettes. <laughs> Here we go. Be my, be my Catchy as hell. Catchy as I hell. Mean, Everyone is going to be going on a walk tomorrow, walking around going, be my, be my tete. Does it not work better if you actually put his yeah. first name in? Is it not? Yeah. Be my, be, be my be Kenny my tete. Kenny tete. Yeah. <laughs> that was use, my thoughts. Yeah, that would be my immediate thoughts. This is the problem with having Coop's and I on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> suddenly you're breaking it down. Uh, it'd be great if we could just add a key change in at the end. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm well up for a key harmonies. change. We can't, we can't keep in time, never mind tune. So I, I don't think that we, we're going to be throwing any key changes around the ambient. Um, I really enjoyed it though. I, yeah, I mean, very it's very could, good. It catch, could it catch on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it will, but it definitely has the potential too. Let's put it that way. He he adopts the position the the tone of the backing singers by be my be my tete yeah whereas 
the uh, the Ronettes. Uh, uh, who's the lead singer of the Ronettes? Anyway, <sighs> be my be my Kenny Tete, be my Kenny Tete. I think that's the that's the way. Or you could divide the crowd. Half of the Hammersmith yeah, H two go be my Kenny Tete, and then yeah, that that'd be good. Veronica but, Bennett. Was Ron? Hang on, was Ronnie Spector not the lead singer of the Ronettes? Who? Ronnie Spector. The Ronettes were Still an American girl wife. group from Washington Heights, Manhattan, New York City. The group consisted of lead singer Veronica Bennett, her older sister Estelle Bennett, and their cousin Nedra Talley. Hmm. So. Oh no! Don't. Hang on, v- v- mate. Veronica Bennett is Ronnie Spector. Oh. <laughs> what? I was like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Oh yeah, later like, known as Ronnie Spector. Yeah, because she married Phil Spector. Yeah. Okay. The I didn't producer. Uh, it didn't say that in the first bit that came up on Google, but now I've gone on to the actual Wikipedia article and it says it there. So I, yeah, I stand corrected. Uh, right. Yeah. Next one is from David Williams says, hi, Sammy, big fan of the pod. I've been sitting on this gem of a tune for Mana Solomon waiting for his return from injury. Well, now he is back. It is time to unleash my creative genius on the pod world. Its mastery is its simplicity. Only one word. Even the most forgetful Fulham fan won't struggle to remember this one. Surely it will catch on. All the best from David and Coulston. Um, It's to Manamana by the Muppets. (laughs) So um, enjoy. Manomano, do 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 do. Manomano, do 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 do. Manomano, do 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 do. I mean, that'll catch on. Done, done. That'll catch on. Someone's gonna be singing that at like Brighton away. Manomano, do 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 do. Manomano, yeah. I found for, I want I want I, I, when you said one there, word I thought you were just going to go Solomon. Yeah, I was I was waiting for that as well. I like yeah. it. Do you think it works? It kind of works with do 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 Solomon. Do 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 do. Yeah. Maybe you could do both. Maybe you could mix Solomon. them in. Then it does change his one word thing about forgetful Fulham fans which makes a fair point about. Um so yeah. Well, I think that has potential. Yeah. I thought it had potential as well. Well done, David. Very, good very start. good. Good yeah. start. Back to this catch all. We might actually get something going here. Yeah. Um, you wait. Right. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is from John Hall, who, as you mentioned, was the person that sent in that tweet, uh, Coops. Um, if we're going from the unbelievably simple, we're going for the <laughs> incredibly complex. Excellent. Um, Listening to your recent episode where the huge virtues of Tom Kearney were being extolled, it dawned on me that we only really have one song for him, which incidentally our six-year-old insists on singing as Everybody Loves Tom Kearney instead of Ain't Nobody, which is actually better. And frankly, (laughs) a player approaching his testimonial should have more songs for our six-year-old to get wrong. So here's a new offering. This is a reworking of The Real Thing, You To Me Are Everything. Oh, good. (laughs) And when I say a reworking, I mean a full reworking. Strap in for three minutes. I mean, it's so good. I'm just going to shut up and let John do the singing. (laughs) Very magic FM. Right now. 
I feel like I'm on a Sunday morning having having yeah. some pancakes. <laughs> Jack Collins is having some pancakes, and this is the real thing. I would fetch a chicken balti pie for you. <laughs> Fight with Billy Badger if you ask me to. <laughs> I'd do anything for you. Your wish is my command. I would move a mountain for the Nottingham sedan. Words cannot express how much you mean to me. There must be some other way to make you see. You only cost three million pounds, completely underpriced. We never won at Wembley, so you went and did it twice. Oh, you to me are everything, the sweetest song that I can sing. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. You were there when we were shite, but now we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. When we need to slow things down, then Marco brings you on. That day you lift the FA Cup can't be a day too long. So now we're looking really great. Let's get our passports up to date. Tom Kenny. This is sensational. <laughs> so good. This is going straight on the album. Though you're on the bench and never seem to start. Every single game we know you'll play your part. If it takes forever, Tom, then I'm prepared to wait. That day you made John Terry cry was really fucking great. Oh, you to me are everything. The sweetest song that I can sing. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. You were there when we were shite, but now we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. When we go a goal ahead and Marco brings you on, he knows you've got the silky skills to keep us holding on. So now you've got the best of me. Come on, let's win the conference league. Tom Kenny. Change. <laughs> you to me are everything, the sweetest song that I can sing. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. You were there when we were shy, but now we're, we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. I've never felt my spirits higher than when you made JT retire. Tom Kenny. <laughs> Brilliant. Tom Kenny. It's just sensational. You were there when we were shy, but now we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny. Tom <laughs> Kenny. You to me are everything. The sweetest song that I can sing. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. You were there when we were shy, but now we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny. And that was John Hall with You To Me Are Everything on Magic FM. We'll be right, we'll be right back after this show break. <laughs> nah, I'm going to say it. I challenge any artist, any artist, don't get him, we'll get him clashing, to come in here and better that. That is the greatest fire in the... We'll catch on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good, man. I also oh, think like, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a double whammy because it's not only the best this will catch on of all time, but it's also a chorus that might let literally catch on. So mm. like, he's hit the impossible heights. 
I, I, I think, it's as you say. It's the first ever 11 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I can't see. I challenge anyone to release a better speak. tune than that. <laughs> I can't speak. That's so good. So many like gags in there as well. Just, just It just kept coming, didn't it? I was like, oh, that's it now. I was like, oh, wait, okay. We go again. You thought it was over halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where didn't you got to the key change? <laughs> That is the best. That's the best this will catch on of all time. It's got the comedy value, the actual catch on factor, and the fact it's just beautifully written and it's well funny. Like, it's everything. <laughs> that song is everything. You went full Louis Walsh there. It's got the humor. It's got <laughs> the song. It will catch on. You're, you're going to win this competition. <laughs> Num- UK number one, I'm talking. Not even better. <laughs> that is just unbelievable. Yeah, so good. Hats off. This is going to be a bit pie in the sky, but if we released that just before Christmas, <laughs> <laughs> we'd get to like fifth, we could get to 15th in the charts, I reckon. Do you think we could get on the big top 40? Yeah. Do you think we could get there? Even number 39 would be an achievement if we got all Fulham fans, did it for charity. I mean, it's that level of good. It's that level of good. Yeah. The, the line, now you've got the best of me, come on, let's win the conference league. That was, that was the clincher for me. John, thank you so much. Hats off, John. That is absolutely I know you went to a lot of trouble to record that and send it in. Um, And uh, it's been a couple of weeks since he sent it in, but I knew it needed to get its full moment um, undiluted. So, John, thank you very much. Can you put it at the end of the pod again, please? So people can listen to (laughs) it if they want. Go on then. It's at the end of the pod. It's going at the end of the pod for everyone to listen. Without us chuckling away all over it as well, you could enjoy it in its its full beauty. Send in any more This Will Catch Ons, if you dare, to hello at fullamish.co.uk. I've got plenty more in the inbox coming uh, next week. I actually had one, but there's no way in hell I'm doing, I'm following that. No, absolutely (laughs) not. (laughs) Keep it for another week. I'm going to send it in send it in another week coops thank you very much for listening today the pod will return on tuesday after we play spurs so we've got a few days without a pod and then there'll be a thursday club this time next week looking ahead to the fa cup match against sunderland uh george cooper thank you for stepping in at the last minute what a pleasure all good uh pleasure's mine i'm on the in the thursday club well, how hey. about that? <laughs> yeah, you have hosted the Thursday Club, but you've never been a guest on the Thursday Club. I've not. I've not. That this will catch on. We'll live along in the memory. That was an utter joy. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy, and thank you, John. Really, that's that's who we all need to be saying thank you to right now. Shouts out, John. All right. Have a lovely weekend with no Fulham. Um, hope you make the best of it. And then we'll reconvene on Monday for that game against Spurs. Fingers crossed we can get another scalp under the lights at the cottage. How brilliant would that would be? And fifth place in the table if we do. That would be an, another high on what's already been an incredible season for all of us Fulham fans. So, yeah, enjoy it. Whatever you do. Until then, come on, you whites. You whites. You whites. Chicken Balti Pie for you Fight with Billy Badger If you ask me to I'd do anything for you Your wish is my command 
I would move a mountain for the Nottingham sedan. Words cannot express how much you mean to me. There must be some other way to make you see. You only cost three million pounds, completely underpriced. We never won at Wembley, so you went and did it twice. Oh, you to me are everything, the sweetest song that I can sing. Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny. You were there when we were shite, but now we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny. When we need to slow things down, then Marco brings you on. That day you lift the FA Cup can't be a day too long. So now we're looking really great. Let's get our passports up to date, Tom Kenny. Mm, though you're on the bench and never seem to start. Every single game we know you'll play your part. If it takes forever, Tom, then I'm prepared to wait. That day you made John Terry cry was really fucking great. Oh, you to me are everything, the sweetest song that I can sing. Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny. You were there when we were shite, but now we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny. When we go a goal ahead and Marco brings you on He knows you've got the silky skills to keep us holding on So now you've got the best of me Come on, let's win the Conference League Tom Kenny You to me are everything The sweetest song that I can sing Tom Kenny Tom Kenny You were there when we were shite But now we're fucking dynamite Tom Kenny Tom Kenny I've never felt my spirits higher Than when you made JT retire Tom Kenny Tom Kenny You were there when we were shite But now we're fucking dynamite Tom Kenny Tom Kenny you to me are everything, the sweetest song that I can sing. Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny. You were there when we were shite, but now we're fucking dynamite. Tom Kenny, Tom Kenny.